1: This one really surprised me Um, In a good way. I was doing it for the Sean Atwood show that I co host Wednesday nights. So, producer Ash Meekle had found Brett Johnson and he just had so much energy and sass that I thought his would be a great segment to put out on my Saturday podcast feed. I do a lot of interviews on that live show Wednesday nights on the Sean Atwood YouTube channel, and every now and then I choose one that I'll put out as my shorter third episode of the week on Saturdays. Brett is a cyber criminal who grew up as a a normal criminal before going to the internet to steal more stuff. He's a real character, perhaps worthy of his own movie or something. He has a bit of a catch-me-if-you-can Frank Abagnale character about him, especially in the way that after serving time in prison, he teamed up with the FBI to stop basically the person that he used to be preventing other criminals from profiting from what he profited from. He was the leader and founder of Shadow Crew, which is basically the dark web before the dark web existed. It's just a place where lots of criminals can congregate without being monitored by authorities. He engaged in all sorts of online fraud and sold loads of stuff that he simply didn't ever send or even have, but just pocketed the cash. His upbringing sheds light on how and why he got into all of that, and he talks of the remorse that he now feels. Even after working with the Secret Service, he escaped and went on a cross-country crime spree before he was placed on the US Most Wanted list, was then captured again, and then sent to prison. And then he escaped from prison! And we didn't even have time to discuss that part. But then he was captured again, and apparently, finally took responsibility for his actions. Some of this is quite funny, just in the sort of... Uh, the madness of it all and the absurdity especially because of his outlandish personality and southern accent but of course it's far from funny if you're the victim there are some great episodes coming up and if you're enjoying please do share the podcast with friends so it can grow and become self-sufficient uh, it's not quite there yet, but getting closer with every month, I'm desperate to hit that point so I can stop worrying so much. So please do get friends listening to this. Start a group to chat about the mad crazy guests. Coming up are anti-wokest Peter Bagoshin, Colombian mafia journalist Monica Bijamisar. She's not part of the Cluffy. she's not a journalist, sorry, who's who's part of the Colombian mafia. She's a journalist who writes about it, and stories about con artists with Sarah Ferris. That's going to be good as well. For now, you're on the edge of cybercrime with Brett Johnson. How are you doing? Andrew, how are you? I am very well, thank you. I like your background and everything. It looks really cool.
0: I appreciate that.
1: Oh, I better get nearer this microphone. How do I sound?
0: You sound great. How do I sound?
1: Oh, really good. Yeah, we sound better than Sean just did. He's a fan. He didn't call that guy. But we're sweating here. Are you hot where you are? Where are you talking to us from?
0: I am in the horrible state of Alabama. The weather here is hot, oh. humid, and racist.
1: <laughs> I bet it is all of those things. Not to <laughs> offend anyone from Alabama. That's my accent, my impression. There you go. That's a good one. So, <laughs> Thank you. Tell me a little bit about your background and all that stuff.
0: Oh, geez, my background. So the United Mm. States Secret Service called me the original Internet Godfather. The way I got the title was I committed 39 felonies. I was placed on the United States most wanted list. I escaped from prison and I built and ran the first organized cybercrime community. It was called Shadow Crew. It was a precursor of today's dark web. Dark web markets laid the foundation for the way modern cybercrime channels operate today. Those 39 felonies had to do with refining modern financial cybercrime as we now know it. Now, of course, that shit does get one sent to prison, deservedly so. And usually that's where the story ends, but I was very fortunate through the help of my sister, my wife, and then finally the FBI, I was given the opportunity to turn my life around. I took it. So today I am a spokesperson for AARP. I am the world's first chief criminal officer. I speak across the planet. I work with law enforcement across the planet, and I I work hard to protect businesses and consumers from the type of person I used to be. Wow. So what what sort of stuff were you doing? I mean, how did you even learn to
1: do all this computer stuff and attack everyone with the computers? Well, I
0: it's it's really interesting with me. I um I actually began my first my first crime was when I was 10 years old, I'm from Eastern Kentucky. Eastern Kentucky is one of these areas where if you're not fortunate enough n- enough to have a job, you may be involved in a scam, hustle, fraud, or whatever you want to call it. My mom was basically the captain of the entire fraud industry. And I mean, no crime too big or too small. At one point, she steals a 108,000 pound Caterpillar D9 bulldozer. No the point, she takes a slip and phone to convenience store, tries to sue the owner. That's, that's my mom. My dad was a uh, was in the military. He was a, a captain helicopter pilot. He was a good man. His problem was, is he loved my mom so much that he would let her do anything and he would co-sign on to anything. So my mom leaves my dad. We I was 10. My sister Denise was nine. We moved from Florida back to Kentucky and she used to leave me and my sister home for days at a time. Um, sometimes she'd take us with her and we'd wait in the car as she partied with men. Sometimes we'd wait in the living room. Most of the time we'd just be at the house. So my first crime, we'd been gone for a long time. I mean, my mom had been gone for a few days. We didn't have any food in the house. Denise walks in one day, age nine, she's got a pack of pork chops in her hand. And I'm like, where'd you get that? She's like, I stole it. And I was like, show me how you did that. So she (laughs) takes me over and shows me how she's boosting food. And I'm like, hey, that's the best idea ever. So uh, start stealing food and look across the way, there's a Kmart, a department store across the way. And it becomes this perverted form of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, books, games, jewelry, music, toys, until mom comes home, sees all the stolen loot, asks where it came from. And I'm the kid that stands up at 10, we found it. Mom was like, no, you didn't find that. Denise stands up, nine years old. Denise stands up and she was like, we stole it. My mom looks at my sister. Show me how you did that. And she joins us. Not only does yeah. she join us, but she goes to get my grandmother as well to join us. And we become this intergenerational shoplifting ring in Eastern Kentucky. You know, you used to take these road trips. They still clothes and jewelry. I'd still books. That's my first, uh, that's my first foray into crime. And as I got older, I got more and more involved in the types of scams and hustles and frauds that not only my mother, but everyone on that side of the family were engaged in. So I I came by it naturally. I broke off on my own in the in the late 90s, faked a car accident to get the insurance money to get married, moved to, from Hazard, Kentucky to Lexington, Kentucky to go to university, and started engaging in cybercrime around 96, 97, right as eBay had transitioned from a PEZ site over to an auction site. And the way I got started with that, I was watching Inside Edition one night. They were talking about Beanie Babies, and I was like, hey, I need to find me a Beanie Baby. So I skipped class the next day, go around to all the shops looking for one, can't find them, but they had... I was looking for this thing called Peanut the Royal Blue Elephant, which was selling for $1,500. They didn't have any of those, but they did have these little gray Beanie Baby elephants that were selling for $8. So I bought one of those, stopped by another store on the way home, picked up a pack of blue dye, go home, try to die the little guy, didn't work out too well. Get him out of the bath, look like he's got the mange. But um, I ripped a lady off of $1,500, posted it online, oh a big picture of one. She thought I had the real thing, she wins the bid, and I am got her to send me $1,500. That's the first crime I committed online at that point. And that's when I found, uh, I also found out the first real lesson of cybercrime. And that lesson is if you delay a victim long enough if you just keep putting them off a lot of them get so exasperated they throw their hands in the air walk away and you don't hear from them again and none of them complain to law enforcement so that's the first online crime i committed i very unsophisticated did it under my own name but i got away with it and i Mm -hmm. kept going and as i kept going i got better at it i got to where i was selling pirated software Pirated software led into installing mod chips so you could play the games on systems or turn on on all the uh, pay-per-view on cable boxes. Then that led into into, uh, programming satellite DSS cards, the small 18-inch RCA satellite systems. You can pull the card out, program it, turn on all the channels. Started doing that at about the same time Canada ruled that it was legal for Canadian citizens to pirate those signals. So what I started to do, you could go down and set up a little cottage industry in the United States, go down to Best Buy, buy the system for $100, take it out in the parking lot, open it up, pull the system out, pull the card out, throw the system away, program the card, ship it to Canada, $500 a pop. Started doing that, making a lot of money, had so many orders, could not fill them all, and thought to myself, why do I need to fill any of them? They're in Canada. I'm down here. Who are they going to complain to? So I didn't fill any of the orders, stole even more money, got worried about how much was coming in, thought I needed to get a fake driver's license to open up a bank account and commit crime under someone else's name. Had no idea where to get a fake ID, so I got online, looked around, thought I found a guy, sent him $200, sent him my picture, he rips me off. (laughs) And I got got angry. I got really angry. And... uh, It you deserved was, oh, it. I did. I did. I did. I I I absolutely deserved every single thing that happened. But mm. uh, I got angry and the result was ultimately ShadowCrew.com. Before there's three sites, there's Counterfeit Library, ShadowCrew and then Carter Planet. I built and ran both Counterfeit Library and ShadowCrew before the advent of those two sites. The only way the only avenue you had to commit organized online crime and it's always organized. The only way you could do that was through an irc chat session this internet relay chat this rolling chat board where you had no idea who you were talking to if you could trust them if they said they had a product or service if they did if it worked or if they were just going to rip you off shadow crew specifically solved that by giving a trust mechanism that criminals could use now you had a large communication channel typically a forum type structure where individuals from different time zones could reference conversations days, weeks, months old, take part in those conversations, learn from those conversations. You knew by looking at someone's screen name, what the skill level of that person was, if you could network with that person, trust that person, learn from that person. We had vouching systems in place, review systems in place, escrow systems in place, all with a singular purpose of establishing trust with one criminal and another. We go on, Shadow Crew makes the front cover of Forbes august 2004 headline who's stealing your identity october 26 2004 united states secret service arrest 33 people six countries six hours i'm the only guy that gets away they arrest me four months later and they give me a job And I'm the guy that continues to break the law from inside secret service offices for the next 10 months until they find out about it. At which point I take off on a cross country crime spree, still $600,000 in the space of four months, wake up one morning on the United States most wanted list, go to Disney world, get arrested, escape from prison, get arrested again, then serve out my time. So that's the guy you're talking to today.
1: Oh, my God. Let me ask you, so but going back a bit, then did sure. you ever feel okay, so what do you think about this? Did you ever feel remorse about the stealing, not necessarily from corporations but from people? And then do you think that anyone really feels that kind of remorse, or are they just worried about getting caught?
0: It's not even uh, so so to answer the last part first, worried about getting caught? No. no, you really don't worry about that. And when so with Shadow Crew, we existed for four or five years total, and with Shadow Crew, what happens is, is at one point, we, we start intercepting text messages of the United States Secret Service investigating us. We didn't really, we weren't really horribly concerned about that because what happens is, is as you realize the end is coming, you adopt this philosophy of fatalism. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, and that allows you to not be scared and to continue breaking the law. Now, as far as remorse, I I hate to say it, but I did not feel any remorse whatsoever when I was committing those crimes. I justified my crimes by saying that, you know, online I'm a bad guy, but in the real world, I'm a good guy. And I Hmm. would justify the crimes by saying, well, I'm doing it for my family or for my wife or for my stripper girlfriend. Um, It took me going to prison, It took my sister disowning me. It took the loss of everything that I had. And uh, it also took a cognitive behavioral therapy program in prison to get me to understand the, uh, the consequences of my actions and the harm that I had caused me, people that I knew, family, people that I didn't know across the board. Mm. That's. It's, i'm thinking of one of my
1: favorite scenes ever from a tv show it's breaking bad uh, and uh, the whole way through um walter white the main character the heisenberg guy he's always saying i'm doing it for my family i'm doing it for right. my family and there's a bit right near the end where he looks like he's about to say it like yet again to his wife and then he says i did it for me i right. liked
0: it and i was like wow what a moment and that sounds like breaking you bad Breaking Bad really hits all the notes of what that criminal mindset is. There's a moment where um where Eisenstein I forget Walter White is uh, you know he's in the cabin and Robert Forster yeah. is visiting him and Walter White asks him will you please stay 30 minutes with me? And mm-hmm. Forster says for night I think it's for $19,000. And I was at that same point where you know you're on, I was on the run from federal law enforcement I you know, was wanted across the country and everything else like that. And and you get to the point that that isolation and being alone, you have no one else to talk to. You can't trust anyone. You don't know what else to do. And that's when you really realize, and that wasn't even the bottom for me at that point, but you really realize that, uh, you know, you're completely alone in this world. And that's, that's one of the good things that that breaking bad does so well is is not cutting corners, not taking the easy route out. It really nails that criminal mindset completely. Mm, and you did it for
1: you. Uh, you yeah. speak sometimes about the motivations of online crime, status, cash, and
0: ideology. So if you think about it, there's really only three reasons that crime is committed online. Status, cash, ideology. When I'm talking about status, what I mean is, Some of these criminal communities are millions of members large right now. If you can do something that no one else within that community can do, if you can build and deploy ransomware or build and deploy bots or use stolen credit card details to defraud Amazon and Apple when no one else on the planet can do that, you gain the respect of every single person in that community. And that respect equates to profit. When I talk about ideology, do you have a different political opinion than someone else have you angered someone else if you have could you be attacked for it well in the united states the only thing you need to do is look at the past two to three years to know that yes you can and will be attacked because of your beliefs so ideology matters but most of the time attacks happen because of cash people are looking to profit so if you understand that then you start to understand how persistent those attacks can become a cash-based attack tends to be lowest hanging fruit. That criminal will, will hit the easiest target that gives the largest return on that attack. But if it's status-based, you're looking to to, to impress your criminal peers, at that point, security doesn't matter. You're, you're wanting the highest possible security you can have. That becomes the important thing. that attack is more persistent, it's not lowest hanging. If it's ideologically based, That's an attack that is not going to go away. That attacker is looking specifically to damage you or your company. So understand why you're being attacked. Also understand who is attacking you, and that will give you an idea of how sophisticated the attack is and how persistent that attack is. You know, when you think about it, there's only really seven types of attackers online. You've got the criminals like I used to be. You've got nation states, you've got terrorists, you've got hacktivists, you've got insiders, you've got the hackers for hire, and then you've got the script kiddies down at the bottom that are just buying all these products, services, tutorials, what have you, in order to commit crime. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that.
1: Private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. It's, it's really quite, uh, it's quite developed and and, and probably there's yeah, all these different types and things. Do you guys all get together when you were doing this? Uh, would you get together and sort of trade ideas and things in, in hacking?
0: I think that's one of the things that most people that are on the good side really don't understand is that criminals online criminals share information across the board so you've got a say you've got a forum that has you know 30,000 people on there those 30,000 members Commonly share the tools that, that they're using, the ways they're, they're, they're the way the operational security they're using in order to not be detected by law enforcement. They're sharing targets, they're talking about which vendors, you know, if you're trying to buy credit card details or what have you, they're talking about which vendors are better than others. So it becomes a real time data type of environment where those criminals are sharing and exchanging information openly. We understood, even with Shadow Crew, that if you do that, Everyone in your criminal group becomes better educated and everyone profits more at the end of the day. The issue is that on the good side, you can't do that. You've got privacy concerns, you've got regulations in place, and then you've got competitive edges. Companies don't want to share information with their competitors about attacks or or who's victimizing them in the hopes that that attacker will then hit them and leave that primary company alone. So it becomes a big issue that that criminals are sharing and exchanging information. The good guys aren't. And because of that, the good guys tend to be reactive and not proactive in their defense mechanisms. Uh, And is that why cybercrime succeeds? And will it continue to succeed? So... Give you an idea about the numbers. Shadow Crew was shut down in 2004. We ended with 4,000 members. Fast forward to 2017, Alpha Bay, largest criminal network on the planet at that point, is shut down 240,000 members. Fast forward two more years to 2019. Black Market shut down, a dark web marketplace, 1.15 million members. All of that is pre-pandemic. Now, during the pandemic, governments put stimulus programs in place No security whatsoever. The fraud numbers blew through the roof. The numbers of people committing fraud went through the roof. Today, you've got communities where a single community can be millions of members large. The problem with that is that this is a situation where you can no longer arrest your way out of that problem. In the United States, we have 37,000 FBI field agents across 56 field offices. Of those 37,000 agents, you've only got about 200 that are concentrated on cybercrime, And of those 200, a lot of those people are dealing with nation state attacks. So you don't have the law enforcement numbers available to take care of the criminals that are out there. At the same time, from the prosecutorial side, you don't have the numbers of prosecutors out there to prosecute all these people. You simply don't have that infrastructure in place. At the same time, you've got jurisdictional problems. And on this, on the, as far as the business side of things go, security tends to be in silos. So each vertical, whether it be financial institutions, retail merchants, what have you, each vertical deals with its own security and they typically don't share information outside of that. They don't share security techniques or anything else because of that fraudsters are able to go in victimize or Defeat each silo based on its own merits, chain those attacks together and hit some target outside of those silos that you chain all that together. And I mean, it keeps going. So 90 percent of every single attack uses known exploits. So it's not zero day attacks. It's not unknown vulnerabilities. It's the stuff we've been told about for years that no one's done anything about that causes the threat landscape as well. So you put all that together and a whole lot more together, and you start to understand why these numbers are exploding on cybercrime, why all these criminals continue to to come in and profit almost immediately these days. It's it's easier now than it has ever been to commit fraud and profit. Uh, It's streamlined so that criminals do not have to really understand any dynamic of cybercrime at all to come in and immediately start making money. Wow.
1: And just going back to you then and your story, is this a bit like catch me if you can? Was this like you were caught and then you're you're now working for the FBI? What's going on?
0: I was I was very fortunate. I was very fortunate. Uh, Usually, I mean, someone like me would serve 20 years in prison, get out, do it again and not be seen from again. I was very fortunate that uh, the first turnaround for me was my sister. She had disowned me for a time after I get out of prison. I meet my wife now. And then finally the FBI takes me in under their wing. They give me references, advice. From there, Microsoft came in and hired me. I was given my first speaking gig. Uh, hmm. I've been doing this for about five years now. Uh, Arcos Labs, a one of the fastest growing security companies on the planet. About four months ago, they brought me in as chief criminal officer, the first one on the planet. Um, at the same time, I'm an ambassador for AARP. I speak I've got a couple of podcasts, including my own show mm-hmm. and everything else. I I'm very blessed, very blessed. I'm yeah. not sure if it's a catch me if you can type of story, but I was given the opportunity to to help people instead of hurt people. Um, it took a long time for me to accept responsibility, for me to understand the the consequences, of my actions and the damages that I had done. But I work hard every day to um, to try to protect people and not hurt mm-hmm. people. I try. I wake up every morning. I, I my my goal. Is to try to uh, to to you know to to even out the scale. I've done such harm in my life. It's going to take a long mm. time to try to uh, to even that out. So that remorse that you said at the time you didn't
1: feel, do you feel it now? Thinking back to in- individuals who might not have had much that that you
0: scammed. Every single day, every single day. I uh, I deal with the victims every day. I try to help anyone who reaches out to me. Um, you know the 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 damage done. When you're, you know, you're, we used to, um, we used to steal people's retirement accounts. There was a lady at one point who's selling a coin collection. So, so she can put a roof on the house for her and her kids. And I stole that. Um, I think about that every single day, every single day. And I, um, it really, it really helps to define how I try to live my life today. Um, Mm you know about uh, it, it, you can't re- you can't really make amends for those actions you can't um, but what i try to do is i'm trying to make sure that that every choice that i make these days is a positive healthy choice that tries to help people and not hurt people hmm. well it sounds like you grew up
1: i mean i don't i don't mean to excuse a behavior but i mean you grew up under very difficult circumstances and i i, I wouldn't want to judge or for, uh, you know i don't know how that might have been for me or, or anyone else in that in that uh, position. I've got a, a question from a, a chatter or a, a chatter, a, a listener, a viewer, a amey uh who would like an example of a crime you have stopped or prevented since your reformation. Uh, also, how have
0: you made amends that are unpaid? Ah, there we go. So. Hmm. Crime stopped. I've uh, been involved in some dark web uh, investigations, been involved in some refund fraud investigations. I'm not sure if anyone really knows what that is unless you're in the industry. Um, Some credit cards fraud as well. um, Some advertising fraud, some bot attack type fraud. So there's been a whole host of of stuff I've been involved in. Uh, As far as victims that uh, I I am making um, payments on the amounts owed to my victims as well and as far as victims that because i had more victims that that it's not just about money right it's about the damage that's caused and you i really believe that you can't it's it's more than just saying you're sorry you have to do something that shows that remorse and what i do is you know any victim that reaches out to me i i make sure that i am there and i go You can check me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, I go to the ends of the earth to make sure that I can do every single thing that I can to help that victim. At the same time, I speak free at uh, universities, I work free with law enforcement, I do a lot of free presentations as well across the planet um, to try to raise that awareness and try to help people. Uh, anyone is is welcome to to reach out to me directly. I've got a phone number posted. I, you can contact me on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on all these other platforms. And if you've got a problem or an issue, I will uh, I will do my best to help you with that. Um, now that being said, I have had a few people that have reached out uh, as. They were involved in Ponzi schemes and they think that I need to try to help them recoup their money. Well, no, they were aware it was a Ponzi scheme when they started. If you've been aware of something, and you've been ripped off, probably not going to help you. But if you're one of these people that's been a victim of romance scams or um, elder abuse fraud or credit fraud or just identity theft in general or anything else like that, I'm going to help you.
1: I've got a question from Ray J, Uh, the FBI are one of the least trusted entities in the world at the
0: moment. What are your thoughts on that? I think that you're incorrect. Mm -hmm. I think I think the FBI is not one of the most least trusted. I think there are individuals there that gave it a bad name of the uh, I I teach at Quantico uh, when the world's turned on and not in the middle of a pandemic. But um, the agents that I have met And what I've seen at Quantico at the um, at the training center there and everything else and the type of work that they do. and, And I've seen the best and brightest in America give up high paying jobs and careers because they want to do the right thing. You know, law enforcement gets a very bad reputation because of a very few select individuals that are part of law enforcement. They give it that reputation. But the by and large, the majority of law enforcement people, they try to do their best and they do an outstanding job at it.
1: Hmm. Just thinking about what the viewers, some skeptical viewers might be thinking now, how do we know you're not conning us conning us now with the talk of sort of remorse and, and wanting to make amends? And does it matter?
0: I think it does matter. And what I would say is don't uh, go by my words, go by my actions. If you're very if you're that interested, you're welcome to follow me on LinkedIn, on YouTube, on Twitter, you're welcome to look at all the work that I do and make your own decisions. I won't tell you to make a decision or what that decision should be. Form your own opinion, go from there.
1: I think you could tell us what where they could come and find you, though, because where can they get you on Twitter and all those things? Sure. So
0: uh, Twitter and LinkedIn. Look me up under Gollum Fun. That used to be my old criminal name, G-O-L-L-U-M-F-U-N. You can also find me on YouTube under The Brett Johnson Show. And my website is www.anglerfish, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H, anglerfish.com. There you go. Go follow Brett, everyone. Brett, we'd love to have you back on sometime. I'm
1: getting messages from our producer. Oh, producer Ash is saying, right, he's messages as well saying, we'd love to get you back on. So we will I'll at stand. some point. Thank you so much for coming on and have a lovely evening. Thank you.
0: Everyone stay safe out there. Thank you again.
1: Thank you to the charismatic Brett Johnson I wouldn't trust him with my login details or whatever, although I'm sure if he so desired, he wouldn't need them to turn my life upside down. So I'm pleased to hear he's working with the good guys now. Thanks, Sean Atwood, another who's now working with the good guys, formerly a ecstasy smuggling crime boss, for allowing me to use these episodes for my Saturdays. Get the full episode, it's four hours long, the full show on Sean Atwood True Crime Podcast. Uh, or on YouTube, subscribe to The Sean Atwood Show, Um, or On The Edge with Andrew Gold. That's on there as well. You can see video versions of this here podcast. Let me know there in the comments what you thought of this episode. You've been on the edge of cybercrime. Have a lovely weekend and be safe with all your stuff, by the way. Don't give out your passwords and all that. Don't just put one, two, three, four or the word password or anything like that because that's no good either. So get safe, be safe, do all your things, wear a condom and I'll be seeing you on
0: Monday. See you Monday. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.